of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers... We are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And this uh, is where we'll focus on today from here forward. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those who he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What, shall, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it as we discuss it this morning. 
Well, not only did I dig into my library a little deeper this week, um, I also conducted a highly unscientific um, survey of the gift and home decor section of christianbook.com um, and came to the conclusion that probably no other chapter of scripture has more different verses appearing on merchandise than Romans 8. You can get shelf stones with Romans 8.28, a dog tag with Romans 8.31 graved on it, bookmarks with Romans 8.38.39 and calligraphy, and, and much, 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 much more. <laughs> Um, and so I was thinking about this, uh, and I did that because I was like, man, I, I bet you could get a t-shirt with that, um, or a coffee cup, or so I, I, and that verse too, and that verse too, there's so many of those verses that we might categorize as inspirational, um, that come in Romans 8, and, and I think, um, there's so many of those kind of inspirational kind of verses packed into the section because that's the point. <laughs> um, the, the reason this section of Paul's letter contains so many passages that Christians find to be precious and, and cling to and want to you know, reflect on constantly is because this is the section of Paul's letter where he is intending to, to give us uh, assurance of the certainty of our salvation, an assurance that's, that's based not on anything of ourselves, but based in the work of God for us. And as we'll see um, in this section today, that um, you, you could really see the end of Romans 8 um, working out what Paul had briefly uh, labeled way back in chapter 1, verse 16, as the power of God for salvation. And, and that's what Paul's taking what he said in four words in chapter 1, and he's showing us what, how that power works, what God is doing to save us, um, how God is demonstrating his love for us. So, um, uh, you know, I, I highly doubt we will exhaust <laughs> Romans uh, 8, 28 through 39, but I do want us to spend some time uh, reflecting on some of these um, great passages of Scripture. And um, verse 28, uh, I mean, literally, I, I should look um, how many sermons Manton did on it. Um, another Puritan, Thomas Watson, wrote an entire book <laughs> on that verse, All Things for Good. Um, uh, but but let's, let's think about this. Um, what does it mean? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Um, yeah, what, what do we see in that, that verse? How, let's, let's unpack um, that verse. It's got lots of rich things in there for us to, to ponder. Um, what are some things that strike you about Romans 8, 28? Yeah, the doctrine of sovereignty, it's God working all things for good. Um, and you can actually, if you see your ESV has a... Um, has a, a note there for this verse um, that some manuscripts have God works all things together for good or God works in all things for the good. It's a hard verse to translate because both, um, both God and all things are, are in the nominative case. So they both could be the subject <laughs> of the verb. And so um, obviously in English that doesn't work very well. <laughs> um, so is it yeah, which one is the operative one in the sentence? And so it can literally be translated either way, and the point is the same either way. It's, it's God who is the one who in all things is working. What, all things is the, the subject? Oh, no, no. So it, the all things is, is pretty comprehensive. Um, and especially in the context, like, I mean, again, this is flowing out of verse 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed in us. So um, uh, John Murray said it this way, all things may not be restricted Though undoubtedly the things contemplated are particularly those that fall within the compass of believers' experience 
especially suffering at adversity. So the all things is, is meant to be all things. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, you know it, it's all there accomplishing God's good purposes for it. Um, and some commentators, um, particularly I noticed this a lot with, um, with uh, Reformation era commentators, talk about that th this word working together um, in, in Greek uh, is often used of, um, of medicine. Um, and, and particularly, and this is the way Peter Marty, Martyr Vermigli, um, not an easy reformer to say, um, uh, so um, he talks about it this way, um, how doctors frequently draw out poisons from human bodies by employing poisonous drugs, hemlock, however much it might otherwise be a quick-acting poison, but yet when tamed by the pharmaceutical art, it is so far from causing harm that it even drives out poison. In a similar fashion, afflictions for godly men and women do not fight against them, but against the lingering remains of sin. And it's that idea, like, things that in themselves, like, are, are bad. <laughs> um, God works them together for good. So it's, it's not that we have to, like, you know, um, say that all things are good, but we have to say that all things are working together for good. It's God takes those individual aspects of our life, and it's through God working them together. Even though, as Vermigli says, they might be poisonous in themselves, God uses them to extract that poison of sin out of us for this purpose. Like, and again, it's He's working all things together for good, and it's not just, you know, Paul's not some naive optimist. Oh, it'll all work out. <laughs> Um, you know, it's, it's, it's because there is a person, God, who is working all things for good for his particular purpose. Um, so to go back to Rob's introductory point, it is this focus on that, that God is the one who in all things is doing the working. Yeah, so again, comprehensive. And this is something like um, we'll spend a lot of time on um, next week when we get into Romans 9 because even we'll see, um, uh, you know, working, God's creating vessels for destruction. Um, you know, so, so we see God's, God's sovereignty is going to be a theme over the next couple of chapters. And some people draw a really, like, um, like one commentary, like chapter 8 ends a section, and then chapter 9 begins a completely new section. Um, there's, there's a lot of flow of chapter 9 out of chapter 8 as Paul works through this doctrine of God's sovereignty. And if you have an ESV, it even, you know, you can see it puts the title for chapter 9, God's Sovereign Choice. Um, and, and here, again, the focus is on... Um, you know, amidst those sufferings, amidst those afflictions, we, we don't have to be, to use words that Paul's used, we don't have to have fear. We don't have to have anxiety. We don't have to be wondering, you know, is God on my side? <laughs> um, if, if God uh, has set his love upon you and you've responded with love for God, then, then God is going to accomplish his good things even through the difficult things that we endure. Yeah. Yeah, he's making a people from, <laughs> from like, you know, I mean, it, it, it's, 
it's, it's great to, to think about, like, and I'm, I'm glad that Andrew in his um, sermon uh, when he was doing the genealogy, like, kind of poked out, like, you know, how horrible <laughs> some of these people in this genealogy are. And, you know, you read the story uh, of those um, brothers, and, man, they're, they're like, yeah, they're, they're not <laughs> necessarily uh, the people you want to hang out with. <laughs> they left their own brother for dead, told their father he was dead. Um, sold him into slavery to a foreign country, um, you know, and you th and you think of all that, and 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 then you know Joseph can say, "You meant it for evil, God meant it for good," and 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 Peter in Acts takes those same words and applies them to the story of Christ. Like evil men, like the crucifixion of Christ was an evil act. No question. It was an act of sinful men. It accomplished exactly what God wanted, our salvation. Our, it was, so, you know, it's that beautiful picture of God working all things, even the death of the only perfect human being that's ever lived at the hands of sinful men, that he who did that, you know, and again, it's, it's to instill in us confidence and the certainty of what God is doing on our behalf. And if God did that, <laughs> then, you know, I, I am in a position to, to as he says in verse um, uh, 25, to, to hope for what we do not see and to wait for it with patience because I have absolute confidence in this, this sovereign God who is working all things for my good, and that in his good purpose for me is, is ultimately to be glorified by being made and conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Absolutely, and it's the way that, you know, you're, you're, it's qualified. So it's not, um, it's not naive optimism, nor is it, you know, um, universal, but it's a qualified God's working all things. I mean, um, for, for directed to a specific group of people, and this is a really unusual phrase. Like, Paul usually talks and identifies Christians as people whom God loves. This is one of the only times where he addresses 
believers as lovers of God. But um, there are a couple other places, Ephesians 6 and then 1 Corinthians. Um, he also does. But it's, it's more typical to talk of Christians as beloved of God. Um, but here he talks, makes this qualifier, lovers of God, um, those who love God, um, those who are called by God, um, and people whom God has a particular purpose for. And that's setting us up for this great string um, in, in um, verses 29 and 30, string of, of past action, past completed action verbs that Paul's going to give us, God doing something for a particular group of people for a particular purpose, which is that particular purpose is our glorification, our being conformed perfectly to the image of his son. Good. Anything else we want to pull out of 828? See, we could, we could keep doing this, but uh, well, let's move on to 29 uh, through 30. So in verses 29 and 30, um, uh, these verses contain what um, uh, English Puritans like to describe as the golden chain of salvation um, with each verb uh, in this, um, these um, verses forming a link of that unbreakable chain uh, forged by God. So, um, so yeah, so as we look at um, what God is doing in these verses, yeah, what are these different things yeah, how does this chain start, and where's the chain taking us to? Like, what, what's God up to in these verses? Say it a little louder. Yeah, so we see, like, you know, he starts the chain and then interrupts it to, to, to kind of interject in the middle. So, you know, so if the, the chain goes, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, and then he pauses, and then he picks the chain up again in 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. But in the middle there, he kind of pauses to give us this, this purpose that, um, uh, that in order that, he might, and he there is Christ, the Son, might be the firstborn among many brothers. Like the purpose of all of this is to conform us to the image of the Son who is the firstborn, the preeminent, um, the model on which uh, we are being shaped into his image. Um, so, um, yeah, so it's a purposeful chain. Good. What else strikes you about? these different verbs. What does, it mean, what does it mean that he foreknew us? Some of the other ones, like he's talked a lot about justification, so I think that one we understand. But, um, but what does it mean to say that God foreknew us? You're right. Yeah, so as we think of that foreknowledge, it, it, it's, not, um, it's not a foreknowledge that comes with an object, like he foreknew X in us, you know, or X about us. He foreknew those whom. So those whom is the object of God's foreknowledge. So, like, we can use know in, in kind of a, um, in a sense of the content of knowledge, like, it's cognition of something, like, um, you know, Rob knows about computers in a way that I don't know about computers. So, so knowledge has that sense, but, but the Bible or biblical knowledge has that other sense of the, the verb to know, and, and that sense of to know is relational, that intimate knowledge of, of one being for another, and that's why in the Old Testament, it uses no to describe sex between a husband and wife, like he knew his wife. Like it, it's that sense of relational knowledge um, 
and, and, and love. Um, I love the way, I first heard this from Tim Keller, and then I later discovered he stole it from John Murray. Um, but, but you could literally, to, and to get the sense of foreknow here and how it fits in the string, it, it's, it has the sense of for love. Like, uh, like before we were made, <laughs> he had set his love upon us. Like, because, again, to go back to the qualifying aspect that uh, Pastor Kerr was talking about, like, clearly God is omniscient and knows all things about everybody. But here, he's specifying, like, this is the first step in the chain. He foreknew. Those people he foreknew, he predestined. Those pre people he predestined, he also called. So it's, it's setting out a, a, a differentiation between the group of people God foreknew and the people who he didn't foreknow in the same way. And so if we think of it in the sense that God is relating, loving, um, then that helps us see the distinguishing act of God's grace in this moment, that before we even came to be, God set his love upon us. Um, and, and this is a concept of God's you know, knowledge being equated with God's love is a frequent um, uh, it's a frequent use in the Old Testament. So this would not be a, a new use of the word new. <laughs> um, Paul is building on that Old Testament use, you know, um, like, you know, as the psalmist says, like, God knew me in my mother's womb. Like, and so as we think about this, like, it's that, that intimate loving knowledge of God. No, not God. For for God, knowledge is a creative act. Like, um, and again, it's 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 an action of God, and in this case, it's a particular action of God toward His particular people. Like that, these people whom He foreknew, foreloved, He has a particular um, destination, goal set for them, and He. And, and it's, again, this idea, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And so he's taking the sort of steps and the completion. So the God who foreknew you and foreloved you and determined to send his son to die for you is the same God who will bring you. And, and again, all of these are completed tense verbs. So, you know, even... Also glorified, it's rendered in the past tense in, in English because it has that, it's the Greek aorist, which doesn't have to be a past action. It just means it's a completed action, even if it's something that's happening in the future. <laughs> um, so it has that, it, it's, it's not strictly past tense. So we, even though, you know, we're not as we are, like, you know, as we talked about in previous weeks, the now and the not yet, you know, you know, God has started his work in us. Um, that work hasn't yet been brought to that complete final fulfillment. But we experience some of that glorification now. So it's, it's both a future experience that we have. But I do think it also, like, through the presence of the Spirit, we have a foretaste of that, that glory. Um, a glory that we hope for, um, but it's a glory that's so certain that Paul can describe it as a completed action. I thought I saw a hand up. Yeah, John. I'm still spinning around with foreknowledge. Looking at the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. In verse 25, O Christ, O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee. Thank you. 
I mean, that's what he ends the chain with. Like, like and what, uh, and, and again, to sort of think of this, like the Old Testament roots of the concept of glory. You know, every time God shows his glory in the Old Testament, people have to turn away from it. Like, you know, because um, they are so immediately fully consciousness of their sinfulness, their lack of holiness, that they cannot be in God's glorious presence unless God does something to invite them into that presence. So, um, but to think that, you know, not only will we experience God's glory, that glory rubs off on us. <laughs> like, you know, that, you know, as we're conformed to the image of the glorious Son, we too are, are glorified in that sense. Um, that, you know, as we're perfected and made holy and, and rendered in the state of not being able to sin anymore and being able to be in the presence of a holy, holy God for eternity, like, yeah, like, once you start thinking on those terms, then you can say, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not with comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Like, and, and that's, as Paul's working this out, He's like, and why this passage should be so comforting and assuring to us, because these, you know, big weighty theological terms like predestination and foreknowledge, the whole point is that it's expressing specifically how God has loved you and has destined you beforehand for glory. And, and so... Um, you can come to this, this realization that if, if that's God's purpose for you, nothing, there's no power that exists that can get that purpose, knock that, that purpose for you off the rails. He intends us to, for future glory, to, for an eternal life of glory, and he's going to do it. Um, so, so one, he, he, he's, he's giving us indicatives here. Uh, he gives us lots of imperatives too, like, you know, that we're, we're not robots. We have real human responsibility. Like, um, we, you know, we bear the responsibility for our actions. Um, but at the same time, God is, is sovereign, and so even though we bear the responsibility for our individual actions, God can use those things to accomplish his good purposes. So, you know, um, and, and with this, like, and I think this is why he, he, he talks about lovers of God, like, you know, God's call to us elicits a response from us that we are freely responding even to his effectual call. Um, so the way um, um, the Westminster Shore Catechism talks about this, effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills, he doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. So, you know, so notice, like, he, his Spirit is in there, you know, working in our heads <laughs> um, and working in our hearts, but but we're the ones um, who are by His power responding. So it's the way that we're we're not robots because we're made in the image of God, and and He has given us a will that we freely exercise, but we can't start freely using that will until He's corrected that 
flaw in us, that what um, uh, Augustine referred to as our bentness. Like, you know, so we're functioning, again, our will is functioning as God intended it, but it's bent towards sin, you know. Um, and, and, and we have to have that change wrought from outside us to bend us to the good. So it's, think of predestined in the sense of, like, break it, and it works in Greek the same way it works in English. Like, predestination, a destination beforehand. Like, like you know, I'm going to Atlanta. <laughs> you know, like, the destination has been fixed. Like, and, and nothing, you know, if God has fixed that destination, like, the flight's not going to land in Toledo. Like, you know. Um, like, you know, nothing can, can divert the, the, the journey from the destiny that God has, has, the goal that God has set. And I think, like, it's, it's a hard thing to grasp with, to, again, unless, you, you know, unless the Spirit's in you. Because the point of it here, again, is certainty, assurance. How do I know I'm going to get to, you know, this glory? How do I know I'm going to reach the destination? Because if it's on me, I, I might get to Charlotte and say, "Oh, Charlotte's pretty nice. I think I'll stay here." Like, you know, it's. Yeah. So as you think of the string, God first set His knowledge, His love upon us, which led Him to create a destination. For us, and then to end time, call us. Um, and again, even though his his focus here is on God's work, but um, you know, elsewhere we know that we respond through faith and repentance. Like he's not including those in this list here because his focus is on the definitive things that God does for us. So he foreloves us. He sets a destination for us. He calls us. He, he justifies us, you know, gives us that forensic recognition for our sins, and he glorifies us. Like, he's going to perfect his work in us, and it's his work in us, and that is the basis for our assurance and certainty. Not in our work, not in our response, you know, because our response is faltering. <laughs> um, you know, if my assurance was based on, like, the performance, you know, like, doing a weekly performance review, um, I, would, I would be fired. Like, you know, <laughs> I, my, my performance is faulty. Um, maybe it's better than last week, but it's still, like, way subpar. And, and, and maybe it's better than it was four years ago, but, like, yeah. Um, why are you an employee here? <laughs> um, you know, it, it's, it's, <laughs> I keep thinking about, like, so uh, when, when, when Stephen was, was looking for a, for, for a job over the winter break, I was like, well, I heard Amazon's hiring. He's like, Dad, do you, do you not know? About what? And then it's so, like, he gave me this article, and it's like, like, people are like, their bodies are falling apart and they're peeing in bottles because they can't keep up with the machine, <laughs> the robot overlord that they have to pack packages on. <laughs> and if they don't make 97% on time, then they get fired. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's it, his emphasis here is, like, if our assurance was performance-based, we wouldn't have any assurance, like, we, when we hit difficult times, we would be anxious. We would be fearful. It, you know. Right. 
If we don't have a, like, all right, that's the destination. I know I'm going to get there. There's going to be turbulence on the way. Like, but if I don't know that, yes, this, this, this journey will end in this destination, I might freak out during the turbulence. Like, you know, I might bail out. Like, it's, it's that idea, like, knowing the end helps you endure the middle. Um, it's like, uh, oh, it was one of those Tom Clancy books that got turned into a movie. I can't remember which one, but I think it was like, it, it was um, early 90s, because it was right when Dan and I were first married, I think, and we went to see a movie together. And like about two thirds of the way through the movie, I realized my feet are hurting. Because my toes were clenched. <laughs> like, I was so like, what's going to happen? Because I'd never read the book before. And, and, and that movie will never produce that sensation in me again. Because like, now I know the end. <laughs> so I know, oh yeah, Jack's going to get out of it, all right. Like, it'll be fine. You know, it's, it's when you know that the end is certain, then like, it, it, it allows you the freedom um, the patience to endure. And that's what he's trying to, to encourage in us. Like, as we go through the trials and sufferings, the ups and downs of this life, that we have this deep-rooted hope and trust in the certain work of God on our behalf. Like, you know, again, the string of birds is, is falling on that. God's working all things for good, for his purpose, and, and for his particular people, and those who love God, those whom he, he foreknew, he predestined, those he predestined, he called, those he called, he justified, those people he called, he glorified, past tense, even though we haven't experienced that fully yet. Um, it is certain and sure and should be, you know, again, this is why <laughs> people... Um, are plastering these verses on coffee cups and calligraphy art and, and, and whatever else it is because these things should be so precious to us. So I understood about 10% of that now. <laughs> but I understand your main point. The science part, you'll have to explain to me <laughs> on a subatomic level. Um, but, but, but absolutely, God being outside time, like, yeah, it, he sees everything past, present, future, like, a, like yeah. Um, they, you know, he, he doesn't exist within those parameters, and we do. So therefore, like, it, it hurts our heads. Um, to, to think and to see things from God's perspective. But through the scriptures, like, we're given that perspective. Like, and it, again, it's why we can speak of things past tense that haven't happened yet um, in our experience. Because it has, like, yeah, it's, it's there before him, the one outside of time. Yes, God. In response to what we're, you know, how Jay represented that question, you know, that we're often opposed with, hey, if God's got this all figured out, what does it matter? Uh, we're just robots. What struck me is that what's being described here is the new creation, you know, which, which, you know, flips what we think is good. Before the new creation, uh, what's best for me is good, and that's the end of it. I'm my own king. I'm the center of everything. And after the creation, I understand differently. 
Yep, like we saw in the first half of the chapter, the Spirit gives us a new mind to see these things. Like that to, to the one, the Spirit, who's in the flesh, like they, yeah, they value the things of the flesh. So again, it's this work of the Spirit in us, in us that gives us this mind. And, this, and again, all the comforting work the Spirit is doing in here um, that is like, you know, rooted in the overall redemptive work that God's doing for us. And like, I love how um, in verse 27, the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And then and later, um, we have Christ interceding for us. Um, you know, so you know, Christ who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So like we have this internal intercession of the Spirit in us, and then we have this external intercessor at the right hand of God interceding for us. So um, yeah, that there, there's a new reality that's taken place through this redemptive work of God in us. I, I often joke, I, I, I do antebellum American history because I need 150 years of hindsight. Um, and, but it's, it's this idea like, you know, um, you know it, it gives us a greater knowledge of, of what he's done for us, like I think, um, as, and as we think of this, like, and, and this idea like that, you know, he, we, we see the giftedness of it rather than the entitlement of it. Maybe that's one way to think of it. Like, this is pure and absolute gift. Um, and if it's something you know, you've always had, or always had the experience of having, would you understand how, 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 how an amazing gift this grace and this love of God has set upon you um, really is? Um, so, I, again, I think you're right. It, it is part of those all things working for good. Even, you know, the acts that you know, I see, like things I once gloried in, again, to use this word, now I find shameful. Like, it's that idea. And, and now, you know, I count everything else as unworthy of that glory that's to be revealed in. What amazing transformation takes place in the life of a believer um, through the work of God in them. Yeah, um, My question is, why is it that some people are chosen and then, because I have people who I would love to, be, to see it. Can we hold that one? I know exactly your question. That's oh. the question of, that is the question of chapter 9. Oh, all right. and, and Paul even says, you know, um, I, I could wish that myself were cursed and cut off for the Christ from Christ for the sake of my brothers. So he's going to express that exact same question and desire. That's the question that we'll be wrestling with literally for a couple of weeks. So let's hold that. Um, and, and not because we only have three minutes left. Um, <laughs> um, but, but, yeah, we will be dealing with that question on an intimate level in the next week because that is the question that Paul, or one of the questions Paul wrestles with um, in chapter 9. Um, so just to say a little, we, we, we don't have a ton of time, two minutes now, because I just wasted a minute um, rambling. Uh, so in the, after this chain, um, he then goes into this great description of God's love, and I, I, I love how he uh, expresses 
these truths. Notice that he, he's presenting um, uh, you know, this truth of God's, as the as he has their title of this section, God's everlasting love, and that, that is the theme of this paragraph. Love comes up three, either God's love or Christ's love comes up three times in this paragraph. But he presents it in a series of five questions. So what's the answer to these questions, and why should that answer be comforting to us? And we'll end with that one. So, yeah, what are some of these questions, and what's the answer to the questions? <laughs> if God is for us, who could be against us? Nobody. Um, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who is to condemn? <laughs> who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Um, so, like, <laughs> you know, it's emphasizing using the, these questions with usually the answer, nobody, nothing, <laughs> no one. Um, it is a great way to, 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 again, bring home the reality of the, the love of God. You know, um, the conclusion is put in the form of a question, question in order to set off more forcibly the unthinkableness of the opposite. Like, you can't even conceive of anything that exists that can thwart the loving purpose of God. Like, what power is there? Nothing. <laughs> um, so, and, that, and then that leads into this, this final ultimate like, again, assurance, particularly to believers as they face the trials and difficulties of life. For I am sure, certain, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Like, you know, again, that is... Um, a truth worth putting on um, our walls. <laughs> Tied, you know, um, we talked a couple weeks ago about, or sermon talked about, you know, tying a little thing in the front that's, um, this is a truth <laughs> worth um, having between your eyes um, all the time. Um, yeah, so, you know, um, as we conclude, like, yeah, what encouragement, what comfort, um, yeah, what's your, as, as you face your daily life, how do these verses and this, this whole end part of this chapter help you um, or comfort you? Yeah, Ron. As we, as we face these sins, that we, we know that we are, are God's children, but Paul says in this body of death, you know, I, I do what I do. Don't want to do and whatever how that goes. But you know, we we we're working with, with God and know we're sinners. And then we we confess it and we're we're are, we're kind of brought back to God in relationship. But but you know we're gonna fall again. And it's not we know we're gonna sin again because we're not perfect in this life. And and this this verse 37 on, you know, that's not gonna separate us from God. We know it's not uh, because he says he won't, because he'll, his spirit is still in us and still working in us. But it seems like you kind of wish that he would just stop sinning. Like, you're done with that, and we'll move on. But it's not. It's going to be something that we're going to keep confronting, but God's not going to ever let us go. We know, we know we're going to be doing it again, and he knows it too. Yeah, and, but with that, it, it's, it's not that he's, yeah, that sin absolutely will not separate you from the love of God. But also take from this, with the, this idea, we should take hope that that sin will be extracted from us, you know, eventually. Like, that sin isn't going to be part of me for eternity. That that sin will be extracted. So it, it and, and that's why we should be working to mortify those things, to put them to death in our body. Yes, we're, we're never going to be perfect, 
But that doesn't mean that God's not actually transforming us and giving us power to deal with that sin. So, and I'm saying that just again to, to emphasize that like sometimes, to go back to like Jay's questions about predestination, some people can use a doctrine like this. Well, I'm saved, so, you know, I don't have to do anything. <laughs> and that is not what Paul is expressing here. Like, he is expressing that the God who has set your destination is giving you a, the spirit and the tools and will take you to that destination. Um, and, and yet, there's going to be struggles, there's going to be turbulence, there's going to be steps backwards, but there are steps forward, too. Um, we, and again, from a perception-wise, we might not always be able to, to see, like, because, again, it's the, the irony. The more we grow in the light of the gospel, the more we see the filth of our sin. So even someone like Paul can say, and say it truthfully, I'm the chief of sinners, because he really sees himself, you know, apart from Christ, that way. But he's also giving us this glorious truth that God has done a definitive and is doing real work in us. So we can never rest easy or comfortable with our sin, even as you know, we, we, we you know, um, fall into things and are ashamed of it, but we can't rest easy in it. And we need to be seeking, um, you know, the, the things that he's given. Um, and this is why I, I think, you know, this, this more than conquerors part. And I like what um, Douglas Smooth said about this. Thus we hear, again, as in 5, 1 through 11, of the love of God in Christ for us. And the assurance that brings to us of the certainty of final vindication because of the justifying verdict of God, and how those great forces render ultimately how these great forces render ultimately impotent and unimportant the tribulations of this life. Not only is the believer guaranteed ultimate vindication, he or she is also promised victory over all the forces of this world. And the basis for this multifaceted assurance is the love of God for us in Christ. God's or Christ's love, um, you know, working in us. And that's the theme of this passage. Like, you know, God's love, nothing can separate, it from, separate us from it, not even our own sin and sinfulness. But, but God's love is also transforming us. And he's making us into the things that he's destined us to be, the people he's destined us to be. People in the likeness, conformed to the image, conformed to the glorious image of the Son, Jesus Christ. Um, and that's why, again, the, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to that glory that's going to be revealed in this. All right, we're on the wall with that one. Close the prayer. Gracious God, we do thank you um, for your love. Um, a love that, uh, for us, that existed uh, before we yet appeared. Uh, a love uh, that um, and knowledge of us even when our, our mothers were here. And we thank you for um, the redemptive work of Christ um, that if he died for us, that if you loved us so much that you sent your only son, um, your perfect son, to die for us, what possible power can separate us from such an act of undeserved love. Um, and that is uh, a precious truth that we should cling to um, as we cling to our Savior, Jesus Christ, um, knowing that sometimes while our uh, hold of Him seems to slip, uh, your hold of us never does. Um, and that um, those who you uh, foreknew for loved, you also predestined, and those you predestined, you also called and justified and those you call the justified, uh, you also glorify. And that is um, uh, uh, our hope of that uh, future glory. Give us a taste of that glory now, even as we gather together to worship you, our loving God and Savior, Jesus Christ, through the power of your spirit. Amen.